0: Welcome to the Let's Go Recovery Podcast, where we investigate sobriety and beyond that, explore solutions to help us heal at the core, where the root of our problems like addiction or alcoholism begin. We hope you hear something in today's podcast that ignites a change in your life. Welcome to another Let's Go Recovery Podcast. I'm here today with uh, Brooke Guerrero. Uh, she's a life coach, she's a mom friend I'll call her and is uh, doing some amazing stuff in recovery and I want to just jump right into it. I know that you've had some troubled uh, stuff in your past, all, all that stuff, but I'd really love to take today and fast forward to what we've described and you've told me about as your second like rock bottom. Um, catch me up and that's where we're going to jump off from today.
1: Awesome. Hi everyone. I am Brooke Guerrero and I met Tracy through Celebrate Recovery at The Grove. I heard him speak there. Um, and yeah, my first bottom was obviously with alcohol, so I'm 15, going to be 15 years sober in May. Cool. And, um, I actually quit drinking before I could legally drink. So my, um, story, my alcohol story started when I was really young, but, um, once I kind of got that under control, um, my second bottom that you're referring to was a little bit later on in life when I probably had eight or nine years of recovery, but becoming a mom. And that was just something that I wasn't sure I wanted initially when I was younger and when my husband and I got together. But I kind of left that piece of my story up to God and just said, if I'm meant to have kids, then give them to me. And if not, then that's okay too. And um, it was after. So I had my son and I was still working. I very much am a career woman. I'm an entrepreneurial Um, person. My husband and I started our own business and just was kind of thriving and working together and doing that together. Um, And when we had our son, I was still trying to work and keep that up. And at about 19, 20 months, um, we just noticed some things with him. Um, And my background, I worked with special needs kids in high school and my mom has that background as well. And I just saw some things and so we got our son kind of looked at and he was diagnosed with autism at about 20 months. And from there, our life just kind of took a turn. And it was up to either my husband to kind of take time off and do it. But I was the one um, who was taking a little bit more of the back road to the business. And he, he was really thriving and taking off in a lot of ways. And so I kind of said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll help be. Um, The person to just do all of the therapies and different things like that. So right around the time that we were getting him diagnosed, I also got pregnant with my second kid. Okay. And so I just to kind of in retrospect, so I had gotten sober. I was doing AA. That was really a great place for me to get sober. But about two years into recovery, I kind of got out of the rooms. Okay. um, And more just started living life. And I didn't have the desire to drink. I would tell my story out loud and proud anytime I got the chance to, but I wasn't really like in the recovery community. Okay. So fast forward, my son is diagnosed. I'm taking a backseat to career stuff and now I am pregnant. My son is doing 40 hours of therapy a week. I'm getting a crash course in ABA therapy and motherhood while also trying to keep up the facade that everything's fine and I love being a mother and I'm so fulfilled and this is so great and everything's fine and I was not like there was pieces of me um really just I was grieving without even knowing that I was grieving and so my second bottom was um having my daughter having my son and so much therapy my husband's career was thriving he was traveling a lot and it was just a very like lonely time in my life and I didn't realize how in the rooms you call it a dry drunk I was sure but I was just white knuckling life and I didn't want to drink but I also was just as miserable if I was drinking maybe so
0: we talk a lot about that on this show about the difference between sobriety so I haven't used a substance and when we say when I say sobriety that can be alcohol drugs gambling pornography whatever it is that is your go-to we're talking about all of those. So you haven't done those in a while, but now you're down the road and you're still in pain. You still have hurt and you're not using that substance to numb that pain. You're a mom. What's that identity crisis like? Where is that thing where I'm I'm not who I am? You know, which is gonna obviously transition us into what you do today with the other women, but what is that like? You know, you're sitting there and let's say you're you've given birth, let's get like kind of get there and go, Wow, who am I? What do you say to the mom that you were then or or to a mom that's in that same sort of dark spot?
1: Yeah. I think as women, right? So for me, I was kinda blessed to wrestle with sobriety at a young age because through the steps, you kind of reconcile your past you with your current you and kind of almost look to the future you. So through that process, I actually really had to come to terms with my identity. I think a lot of women, um, and this is my personal opinion, are kind of brought up to find our identity in what we do for other people and who we are to other people. So if you're a good friend, then you're there for someone else. If you're a good wife, then you're there for your husband. If you're there for your mom... Or if you're a good mom, then you're there for your kids. But where does that leave you and what you want? And so to me, at that second bottom, I just really had to once again say, like, my life has become unmanageable in the way that the things that used to bring me joy, I either can't do, like, I, can't, I don't have time to do a full-time career. Sure. Or, like, who am I as a mom? And what does that look like? I had an amazing mother my mom is the she was the warrior who was a single mom my mom was married to my dad who was like not super present not there for a lot of the time um as well that like or when he was there it wasn't there you know and so I just saw my mom as such this champion and she is such an unconditional loving heart like, that's not me. I don't right. have that if someone paid me to. I am very opinionated. You know, I'm very much in the Enneagram. So I am an eight. She is very much a two if that correlates with anyone. Um, and so it was very hard seeing her her idea and the pedestal that I had her on for motherhood and then feeling like I had just failed. And I think the ultimate bottom, especially for my son, he was in a preschool out in Gilbert. And the teachers would tell me, oh, you know, he kind of had a rough day, but it wasn't, you know, it's okay, whatever. And then a few weeks into it, we actually got kicked out of the preschool because of his behavior. Wow. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, I know, exactly that phase. <laughs> sure. Exactly that phase. So I'm like, I suck at everything. Right. I can't be a mom. I am, My kid is so bad that he's getting kicked out of preschool. And I had a friend of mine who's still my son's speech therapist kind of speak truth into me in that moment and saying, like, I can't believe you're going to allow that woman to tell you who you are and who your child is. And I just remember so pivotally, like, God just kind of coming alongside of me and being like, he is not a bad kid. And I gave him to you for a reason. And that was where I really started, like, kicking into gear and being his champion and saying, Okay, he does have these behaviors. Let's figure this out. And that was kind of what led us on our road to getting him diagnosed and to like, and now he is amazing. Like now I have people being like, are you sure he's autistic? And I'm like, if you only knew, you know, and to me, just the same way I'm an alcoholic, like he has autism and it's a beautiful part of his story. Mm -hmm. It is not who he is fully. And so anyways, going back to the motherhood identity, anyone who's a mom now as a life coach, I love that I have the honor to come alongside people and ask them outside of. Who you are outside of all the people in your life, what I always ask this question like, if everyone in your life was taken care of, what would get you out of bed? If you had all the money in the world, if you had every I used to say, if all of your family was dead, people didn't really take well to that. So I shifted that. I was like, if everyone's taken care of and good, like, and you had all the money in the world, you didn't have to get out of bed, what would get you out of bed? And it's really not an easy question, but I think from that point, um, guiding yourself and using that type of stuff on what actually does fulfill me. What do I actually enjoy? And so right around that same bottom of his diagnosis, I also found Celebrate Recovery at The Grove. Sure. Silent plug, uh, Monday, 6 to 8 at The Grove. Gilbert. Um, <laughs> but I found that and I became a leader of that. And now I run the women's um, ministry there through Celebrate Recovery. But I also found tennis. Cool. And tennis. I'm like athletic. Right. I think I believe my brother for so long being like, you're not athletic. You're just totally clumsy and unathletic. And here I am 30s like in a tennis league. And it fills me in a way that I had no idea I had a deficit in, to be honest with you. And so, yeah, I think from that bottom, I think asking the right questions about yourself and having the right people around you to speak truth into you about You know, is that a true statement?
0: So let's go back to that moment. You and you said something that's pivotal: is your identity is is some part of what you believe about yourself, but it's also a product of all the things you've been told about you. So here you are. I'm going to say your young thirties when this is going on. Am I right about that age? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Late twenties, young thirties. Yeah. Uh, You're having this identity crisis. How quickly? And this is part of how the mind works. How quickly does your mind take you to something your mom said, something that a teacher said about you? How easy in that moment was it for you to hear those voices? How quickly did it go there? Tell me a little bit about that, that processing, because I guarantee there's a, a listener or somebody that's watching that's saying, that's me. Yeah. That's who I think I am. But I know I'm not. How, t- tell me, take me through some of that processing.
1: Yeah, I think, um, a beautiful part of recovery is the steps. And I think a lot of being able to kind of break down those barriers and everything through the steps really gave me a lot of tools to try to decide, is that a true voice? Is that, um, something that I don't want to identify with anymore? And to me, beyond the voices that, you know, or things that people said about me and different things like that. It was also the expectations I was setting for myself that I didn't even really realize until I took inventory of those and kind of looked at those. But it's very much like I would be asking myself, well, what would my mom do in this situation? And I knew I was falling short of that ideal. And that was crushing to me because I'm like, if I can't reach what she's doing, then I'm failing in a lot of ways, you know?
0: So you're redefining your life based on your experiences. Yes. So I would think that if we're talking to any of our listeners, whether it's in your business, in your relationships, in, in, in how you're mothering or parenting, I think all of us would say there's no perfect example of any of those. No. So you're just doing the best with what you're given. Um, my, um, I'm an abandoned kid. So when my dad left me, one of the things in my steps was to find out that my dad's dad left. And there was such a safe space for me to put him in to where I go, well, of course he did. He didn't know any better, even though I might have held that for a period of time of like, what did I do wrong? When in reality, he was just doing the best with what he had. He doesn't know how to be a good dad. Yeah. He doesn't know how to fight through some of these things or battle through some of you know the troubles he had in his life. So he just did what he knew. So I think with a lot of our um, uh, recovery partners and people that we work with, we're finding that no one has the perfect answer. And there's some beauty in that. Like, you're a good mom. You're a perfect mom. Like, I try to be a good dad today, and as, as hard as I try, if you talk to my kids, they're going to mm-hmm. say, oh, he's a perfect dad. I'm going to go like, yeah, nobody is.
1: Yeah. Right? And that, I was like, would they say that? Would they? Would they? No, perfect. no, no.
0: They probably would say he's perfect, but we'll, we'll, we'll let them slide. They'll lie. <laughs> One of them's a pretty good prevariegator. So, she, you know, she'll tell you on the camera that I am. But in reality, you know, there is some spot there where it's like, hey, listen, you're not going to get it right. You don't, and guess what? You don't have to. Talk to me about that, transit. You're a life coach. Yes. And I, tough love. I love the name of your business. That's great. And yes. that that tells me that I've got to be truthful with myself, but I'm also going to take some people along with me that are going to check me and say, hey, man, this isn't a great way for you to go. This is a behavior that I'm seeing. These are, I'm assuming there's some partnership. Tell me a little bit about what life coaching looks like for you today and the women that you're influencing.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of stuff is so relatable that you said. Um, Right now we have the blessing and curse sometimes of social media, but there's so many good motivational memes out there. One of them is like practice makes progress. To me, perfection is such an illusion. And it's like, you know, you and I had kind of talked off mic about like the delusional summit that we're all in. To me, what life coaching has given me is life coaching and then my faith. And just, like, my relationship with Jesus and just all of that background in me is I am never going to be perfect, which was easy for me because I was never one to, like, wrestle with perfection. In fact, I was such the black sheep that, like, the worse I acted, the better I was doing in my own head. So I was that nightmare. Um, But for me.
0: God bless your mom, by the way. Oh,
1: my God. Please pray for Janice Rice. Pray for her. She's a saint. Um, But for me, it was very much of. You define what that looks like. So you define what success is and you define what failure is. So if you really take inventory of everything that you're doing, you get to define what a successful life looks like. But if you are holding it to all of these other ideals that other people have for themselves, for example, I always take my um, clients through define your subjective Okay. I want to feel better. Define better. What is better to you? Sure. Because you say better and it's like, okay, so let's just feel better. What well, does that mean physically? Does that mean mentally? Does that mean you want to get better at some skill? Or, okay, I want to just be rich. Okay. Right. Define what rich is. Sure. You know, to my seven-year-old son, it means being able to buy apps or something or toys or you know right. whatever that is. But to my husband, it's very different. Sure. But if you never define what that is, you never have a realistic goal that you're going towards. Right. And if you don't define those, then you are just literally searching through life for this thing that is undefined. Yeah. Which will put you on such a hopeless journey, in my opinion. Absolutely. You know, like if you don't know where you're going, you're just driving into the abyss. Right. And maybe that's a cool road. You stop and see a few things. But for me, I feel like people think that there's, a pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow when it's like, you don't realize the rainbow doesn't exist and you define what that pot of gold is. So I, I really love defining your subjective of what does that mean to you? You want your marriage to be better. Well, in what ways? Sure. How? You want your spouse to be more communicative. Okay, what does that look like? How are you communicating? Like, what are you putting out? And so for me, like, and I always say that So I named my business Tough Love because I'm not a gentle breeze. Like if you need hand-holding and for someone to tell you like it's okay and pet you and tell you you're pretty, like I'm not your girl. I will like, I'm here for you and I will be the, yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, that's not me. There's Grove Counseling, Matt Shively. He's a great, super compassionate person. Like if you're ready to get to work and you're ready to see change in your life and you're ready to just have like the loudest, I say I use gaslighting for positivity, not for, you know, bad things Which, anymore. Yeah. Good for you. Mm-hmm, thank you. Um, but I do, I just s- try to speak truth loudly into people. And my goal is to, especially for women, obviously, cause it's easier for me to relate to them, but I just want women to know who they are unequivocally so that no one can tell them different.
0: Well, the, the, Best part that I heard about that is, is they get to define what better is, right? If that's if that's five pounds, or that's five hundred dollars, or that's whatever you want to set, like you've got some definable objectives, which I love that because so many times I know people that are like, I want my life to, you know, again, you use the word better, you know, get better. Okay, great. What does that look like? Because there's people sitting in here that they want their lives to get better, and when I think of recovery and the motive of me. You know, putting some years under my belt of not using a substance. That's super cool, but how does my life get better? Mm -hmm. And then what am I working on? And so, as you start talking about things like step work or character development or life coaching, I'm able to see there's an improvement in, let's say, my relationship with my children or my wife. Like, I can go, oh, that's measurable. But I also can go back to some of the things that created that, and that's a great space. Some people just think, oh, I'm going to stop drinking or drugging or doing this behavior, and it's going to get better. And I go, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get better. In some cases, I actually found that it got harder because now I understood how I felt, but I didn't know how to react to it right now. So my wife hears me say this or my daughters hear me say that. Maybe not what I intended, and I now can't turn to the substance or use that as my excuse. I've got to say, no, no, no. I'm sorry. There's a great commercial that just came out, I don't know if you've seen it yet, and I don't even know what the, it's for, but it says, what's the hardest words to say to say in the English language? And they're talking to people that don't speak great English. They're from other countries, and they use the word sick. It's hard to say sick. And so they're talking to them, and they're going through these words, and it's just like, four, they I don't know how to say different words. And then they go, oh, no, no, no. They said, emotionally. And the people said, Wow what's hard to say is I'm sorry, you know. I don't know how to say as a non-alcoholic or non-participated in drugs and alcohol, I don't know how to say I love you. I don't know how to, because I used to say that with a a, a check, yeah. a stack of cash or, a, you know, physical touch. Like that was the only way. But to sit there, look you straight in the face and say I'm sorry or I love you or I forgive you is absolutely difficult. And so when you start telling women and saying things like, hey, understand yourself, that also gets them in a better space to know the people that are like about them. The people that are around them, they can start to understand them better. Talk to me about that transition, whether it's a person, a specific you know, identity, or how do women and, and men as well transition from who they were to who they want to be once you start, I'm going to use the word, coaching them. What, is, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. um, Something that you touched on that I just think is so important for our friends in recovery. Also, like I didn't know until Celebrate Recovery that Celebrate Recovery is meant for not just chemical dependencies. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was available or that community existed. And so going back to like your identity and different things like that, you saying that getting sober is completely different than recovering. Absolutely. Like you can quit drinking and be such a miserable person <laughs> yeah and not be happy and not love life and that is so sad to me the recovery piece of sobriety recovery from anything anxiety depression whatever it is the recovery process of that is really where you find joy outside of that thing you know and for you talking about saying i'm sorry and saying i'm love i love you as a chemical dependent person or you know deprogrammed recovering chemical dependent person the reason why I drank was mostly to not feel right. So yeah, the first like little bit of recovery was the flood of feeling and not only feeling for stuff that you did in the past or stuff that happened to you in the past and actually letting all of those things hit, but then also making conscious decisions moving forward that when you mess up, just like you said, you don't run to the substance right? and you have to say you're sorry. And yeah, so Going back to that, what I find most of the women who I mentor or life coach are just struggling with not knowing who they are or who they want to be. So I always use an analogy of if we are cups, right? Okay. So you have your cup and independent. I'm going to use my water bottle. Okay. So here you are as a child, your parents pour into you maybe – maybe not and so sometimes we enter adulthood sometimes we didn't have parents that poured into us so we start low so we're at a deficit so we go to other people who maybe match our lowness and we're like okay well maybe if we work together we can fill each other up again then you have people who have good backgrounds who are full but maybe there's been some food droplets food coloring of toxicity so their cup is full but it's dark red of toxicity because they're full but it's been full of the wrong things for the wrong reasons but it looks full and that's still great. And that's like the litmus test. So to me, like finding, to me that what the steps does is it takes my crimson red, whether it's low, high, and it turns on the faucet of recovery for me, Jesus, and floods your glass. Kay. Now, sometimes when you are more willing, you turn the faucet on full blast and it's like a fire hose and you have a brand new cups that's full of clear water. Wow. Other times, You aren't ready for the full. So you just turn it on a little and a little. And sometimes it takes more time to clear it out and fill it up. But once you figure that out, you now have to realize that there is not one thing that can fill your cup, nor should there be. Right. Your marriage cannot be the only thing pouring into each other because then your husband has to go pour into work. You have to go pour into your kids. And then you come back together and you're like, no, but I need more. But I need more. Right. And they're like, but I've been pouring out all day and I need So to me, God and Jesus are the faucets that can always refill. However, he also brings other things into my life. So I shared about tennis. Sure. That was a whole community of women that pour into me in a certain way that I get to pour into in other ways that, you know what? Even if my home life has a deficit, I know that that's somewhere I can turn to go get filled in different ways. CR is the same thing. I have a whole different community that I can pour into when I'm overflowing, but I can also be poured into when I'm at a deficit. My kids, my husband, my family, my you know career, starting businesses, helping mentor people, taking people through the steps. There are so many, I now have so many different cups that even when I'm at a deficit, I can go to all of these different places. And what I feel is I think women are sitting there with their cup saying I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and they're either at a deficit or they're dark red and they don't know how to communicate that they need more and if they need more they don't know how to find it and so last year I started doing um, a women's event at the beginning of the year kind of just showing like what are you into and then finding other women who are into that as well and women are such social creatures we need each other And for me, Celebrate Recovery was something that really just offered you get to come as you are, not the facade person, not the perfect version that you need to be out in public, but really just like as you are struggling with whatever you're struggling with. And that's okay, You know, and some people also who have been hurt, sometimes they will pour out, but they have a lid on because people have only poured toxicity into them right so they're like you know what I'm just gonna no pour more. out yeah so I'm done right so even when loving people like a life coach like someone comes in sometimes you have to pry off that lid to be like no I'm not gonna harm you like it's okay to be vulnerable with certain people in order to fill your cup and so on and so forth so I just really like that analogy because I think that we're sold a false bill of sale in marriage as young adults to say, okay, well, if you just keep pouring into all these people, they'll eventually pour into you.
0: Yeah, and that's not true.
1: It is so not true. And to me, it's so dangerous to say that marriage will be the thing that fulfill you. Sure. Or kids or a career for men or, you know, the strong identity. And I've always said as, you know, in life coach, I want to be a strong enough woman in myself that my husband can be a vulnerable man. Wow! Because I think it, we really put men in an unfair position to want them to be vulnerable, but then need them to be strong. Right? They're like it's vulnerable, but don't don't be like gross vulnerable <laughs> because then you're like weak and that's right. weird. Don't be for soft, me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, like ooh. So to me, it's like I want to be strong enough in who I am and in myself that I have enough other people pouring into me that if you have a vulnerable moment. I'm okay with that. And I'm a safe place to be vulnerable with. Wow. You know,
0: there's so, a lot of, there's so much good language there, but when you start talking about you defining it. And so as a, as a couple, I have my cup, right? I have, I have my own cup. You have your own cup, but I've got to, I'm going to use the word take inventory. Cause we know that language. I've got to look at that on a regular basis and know where I'm at in my cup, where I'm at in my life. Where are the things where are the places where are the people that have let me say hold a position I like talking a lot in business terms so I have a board of directors and like this guy can't talk about this in my life one maybe because his maybe his marriage isn't so good so I don't really want you talking about marriage with me or maybe your relationship with your kids is really good you talk to me about this but don't talk about that and as I start to understand where my cup is, then it allows me to help you with your, not necessarily just come running and that was me, right? Come running and just, shh, here's a buck, you know, this is what you need. And then like, no, no, I didn't need that today because I'm okay with my cup. I'm okay with, let's say, calm. You know what I mean? I always thought everybody wanted it bigger, better, louder, faster. I'm that guy, right? And so when I come in with that and they, they don't want it, then it's not well received, even though the intention might be good, so, just taking some time and understanding, well, let's say, where you're at, where you're personally, knowing where you're personally at is so much more important than, again, what somebody says about you or what you even tell yourself about yourself. Tell me, how do uh, I'm going to say I'm struggling with an abuse? So take me up this, not the step works, but this ladder of here's where I'm at right now. I'm in a really bad space. Um, Things aren't going great for me. How do I, I'm going to say, take the first step. What is my, I'm I'm not starting out. I don't know where to go from here. It's not great. I don't love myself. Where do I go from there in your mind? Give me a jumping off point.
1: I think you already kind of went past it by saying, I know I'm not happy. I know I'm in a bad place. It's, finally getting to your bottom to saying like, this is not, I'm done. I need something else. I am ready to make the change. Like the first step is admitting that there's a problem, right? And to me, um, there's a Jeremiah verse saying that you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Like, and that was, I'm just like, there's so many times in recovery that I find that like, you know, and this is a little, bible or whatever that like God was just really speaking to us as alcoholics and us as degenerate people to kind of say that um you know you can't heal something by just pretending it doesn't exist so I think the very first thing is admitting that there is a problem and maybe part of it is that you have a problem which was me but also at my second bottom saying like I am not happy I am miserable this I can't exist like this anymore like this is not good for me it's not good for my family it's not good for who I am and who I want to be so I need to make changes so and going back to you were talking about healthy people in your lives and in different ways and in different things and I think um, I always tell people to look for people's actions not their words And to me, you and I were just joking right before we got on mic about you being a politician, not actually, but you should be. And I completely like, I'm with that language because there are, we live in a world of marketing. I love marketing, it's what we do, it's what our business thrives upon. But you, you know, when you've seen behind the curtain of Oz, like, you know, there's just a little man up there with a microphone that to me, it's very much like, you have to watch the actions of people for them to tell you not only who you are to them and what safe place you might need to distance. So we just went through the holidays, Um, not to put a timestamp on this or anything, but a lot of people don't understand how triggering family can be. And there's a lot of an American sentiment and sentiment in general, just to say that family needs to be everything, that you have to have a good relationship with your family and you have to spend the holidays with your family and so on and so forth. And I'm like, you have no idea how much generational trauma there is sometimes within family that led them to drink, that led them to do this. So to me, um, just talking about filling the cup and kind of getting to that baseline thing, I really usually meet women at a deficit that I'm saying, maybe for this season, we hold staunch boundaries with that person, with that family member, with that thing to get your cup full to get you to a healthy place, to then we know why that person triggers you. We know what to do about that. You have coping mechanisms and different people to reach out to. But for example, like you wanting to come and put out the fires of everyone, like you might not be a healthy person. That might not be what they need. And I feel like the more that you have your cup full and overflowing, the less you are wanting to, to run around and pour out your water because you have so much that instead I almost view myself as a fountain that it's like I want people to come to me because of my actions because they see me overflowing not in a deficit kind of way like I think as a healthy-ish person you see when people are acting from a place of deficit and for me it always just hurts my heart for them to take that as their truth. You know, and so going back to what you were saying and what you were asking, it's just like, I think the first thing is admitting that there is a problem. And then, you know, something else from the steps and just recovery is finding a sponsor. And when you talk about finding a sponsor, the rooms always say, look for someone who has what you want. But it's also interesting because you can look for someone who has what you want, but from a place of deficit. So there was this awesome analogy saying that to a starving person, even a crumb looks amazing. Versus there are people who are eating full loaves of bread, sitting in a room of bread on a mountain of bread. But if you're starving, you're going to take that delectable croissant crumb because that's what's offered to you. So to me, really like being a safe person, coming to meet people where they are, not holding expectations for where they need to be, and knowing that when people are at a deficit, they can't pour into you. Right? Don't go it don't go to that person right. and be like, "Hey, I know you're at a loss, but like could you just be here for me? Right. Could if... you pour into me in these moments?" It's like, "Girl, what? I just told you like I'm drowning in right. this. Like I have nothing for you." Right. So I think the first step is realizing that there is a problem. Sure. And wanting it to change, you know,
0: that's key. That's key. I, yeah. Recognizing a problem. Obviously, that's what recovery is about. Like, I know I I know I need something to change in my life. I don't like who I was yesterday. I want it to be for tomorrow. So I'm going to do something today. Yes. So that that thought um, says finding people is imperative. But also um, you just hit on a point of like recognizing everybody else's. I think that's the one thing I found in recovery slash sobriety is that my awareness is like I can't believe that I expected something of them when this is where they were at and I'm like oh my gosh that's awful like my, setting expectations of other people is something that you know we don't have to do today and the good news is we then don't expect it of ourselves like I don't have to check the boxes that you thought I was going to check today because I don't have it in me you know I, I you know I'm not going to do that today I'm not you know I'm not going to be part of that uh, activity and it's like wow that's such a freeing spot so You know, for the viewers that did have to and and do continue to have to deal with family, whether it's the holidays or you know, birthdays, get togethers, there's a lot of different triggers in life that we, I want to say, we avoid in some cases, but in reality, we can't avoid them forever. Like, so facing it on, and I want to kind of sum up with that, I got to start attacking life. Like, and I'm a woman, and you know, I've been, I'm going to say, um, held that role of soft mom, I've held that role of just kind of being this um i'm just the wife you know i'm just a that how do i take back that power if uh, if the women are listening right now and and maybe men too like i am in charge of my life what does that look like and how awesome is that for you to be part of
1: yeah it is an honor and a privilege like my answer to what would get me out of bed in the morning is meeting and having these types of conversations with people who need it and so to me people who want to take back that power like, really ask yourself what you want. There was so much. So my husband travels a lot. We have what I would like to call an an unorthodox marriage and relationship. He travels like probably 50%, like two weeks out of every month or more and has been for years. Like, so our whole relationship has kind of been on that. And I, I see other women be like, well, how do you do, you know, what do you, what do you, whatever. And I feel like, um one of our first years of marriage even before kids I was home he went to work and I had made this meal and I was trying to make meals because per my mom sure that's what you do right when you're a good wife and I I remember this specific meal I was so proud it took me so long and I was like hey so like when he, and he's like oh no I'm going out like with friends I have this dinner and like yeah so like I'm not going to be home I was so defeated And it was just such a turning point to me that it's like, why would you set yourself up for that? Like, so really, like, I don't like cooking. I actually hate it. It does not feed me in any way. Like my goal, success, what that looks like for me is eating out for every meal and affording a personal trainer to not have a fupa fanny pack the size of a tire. Like that is success for me. I don't need anything more, you know, will work myself out of less. But like, that is it. So to me, realizing that as a woman, that that was a false narrative that I had put on myself. My mom never told me to be a good wife. You have to cook. That was what she did. That was her experience. And she also loves cooking and loves feeding people like that feeds her. So to me, I really had to, once again, look at myself and say, what do I like about being a wife? What about myself is going to be make me the best wife. And I I always go back to the story of Mary and Martha, right? So for people who aren't familiar, like Martha spent time getting the house ready for Jesus and cooking all the food for Jesus. And Mary spent time at Jesus's feet, actually spending time with him. So, and then Martha came up and was like, Jesus, you know, get on Mary for not helping with the food and whatever. And he's like, all I wanted to do was hang out with you. I don't care about a clean house. I don't care about a meal. I don't care about any of that, but you just wasted a whole night preparing a meal for me that like, I don't even want necessarily, you know? And going back to like that, I'm like, how can I be the best version of myself for my husband? And it's to be honest with myself, what do I like about being a wife? What do I like about being a mom? You know, my, we don't eat meals necessarily around the table. My kids eat in front of a TV and I go and get stuff done. Like that's our language. I don't care if people agree with it or disagree with it, or if there's research saying that communication at the table is <laughs> essential to making good kids. I'm like, sure. I am very aware that I will mess my kids up. Right. Because we all will. Right. Like, Hey, free piece News of knowledge.
0: <laughs> hey, like, <laughs> here's my here number, first. <laughs> you know, whether
1: it's you or them later on or whatever, like we will. Sure. And that's okay because we were never meant to be their everything. And so for me, just knowing that like I want to teach my kids how to have multiple cups and how to fill themselves just the same way that I had to learn that multiple times in life. And there will be different seasons where I'll have to learn it again, but it won't defeat me and it won't get me to such a bottom again because you learn and you learn the signs of when you're at a deficit and you learn the signs of when you need to look elsewhere or when things trigger you or so on and so forth, that to me, to the mom that wants to take back the power, define what you like. What are the things that you are resenting your husband about? Husbands, what are the things that you are resenting your wife's about? Do you not want that meal? Tell her you don't care what she cooks for dinner. Right. Let her off the hook. Please tell her. her, Like you have no idea how freeing that is. Like when my husband told me and communicated with me that he really didn't care about a super clean house and that I was like chasing this mythical unicorn of like an organized Insta house. Like he does not care. He's (laughs) barely there. Right. Like he's okay with whatever it is. And like, we kind of go by the rule of thumb. Like if you want it, then you do it. Wow. I love that. If it bothers you, then do it. If the pile of laundry that you can't sleep with anymore bothers you, you can go on and just go ahead and put it away. But equally I had to also find the, the, freedom i guess in saying he's gonna put it away in the wrong places not the way that you like it oh, wow you can't have your cake and eat it too right so that has just been a really freeing rule of thumb if it bothers you then you do it but also as a woman defining the places that you're at a deficit in and really seeking help and finding how to fill those places and having those open communications with your spouse for us like we don't argue or we don't necessarily fight like we have big blowout fights probably every three to five years it's usually when his mom is in town usually when i'm on my period yeah shock yeah right
0: oh my god yeah Yeah. yeah.
1: exactly like just recently it happened and he's like brooke i could have written in an envelope on friday when my mom got here that by monday we would be in a fight and i was like of course super logical but to me it's like you just have to know those signs and be honest with yourself. I think so much of us are trying to reach this facade that we never really take inventory of where we are and define where we want to go. So if you want to take the power back, be honest, define what success, what happiness, and look for those resentments and look for someone who has the actions in your life to help fill that. That's awesome. I think is my Takeaway points, if you will. I'll tell
0: you that you did as good a job as anybody of, <laughs> of wrapping it up. And I mean, there's so much to unpack there. So I hope our viewers will listen back, uh, you know, watch, really intently take their own inventory and know that they are in charge of what their lives look like tomorrow. Take charge. Take, yeah, take charge and do that. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you've learned something. I appreciate you being here, Thank Brooke, you. and we look forward to many time. more conversations with you. Um, and to all of our listeners and followers, there's going to be some tags and some uh, subscription buttons that you can go ahead and follow Brooke and uh, Tough Love Brooke on Instagram. Uh, hopefully, you find something there that uh, works for you. I certainly have, and I appreciate you for being here. I hope you heard something today that gets you to take one small step into the version of the person that you want to be. For more content like this, subscribe to our channel below, or you can go on Let's storyrecovery.org until next time